Here we go. Sports meets beer. Beer. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to episode five. This is Brad Barmore. That is Ben Perry, and we are bringing you all things sports meets and beer. I love it. Episode five. Episode five. Yeah. What's happening, man? Nothing. That's a pretty big milestone. It is. I believe this is the silver anniversary. Uh, silver bullet anniversary. Silver bullet anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> This is the anniversary where you go to the quarter-operated uh, machine at the pizza parlor or the front of the grocery store and get your beloved a gift from there. I used to love getting the baseball, little baseball uh, helmets and football helmets and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever do the uh, ice cream in the baseball helmets at the ba- at the ball games? Um, I don't know if you've, you can see my waistline. I've done ice cream <laughs> into anything you could put ice cream into. <laughs> you actually stole uh, batter's helmets from the dugouts? Yes. Try to eat, uh, can I get this refilled, please? Do you have any bigger batting helmets? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. My they, goodness. they do the goofy Dippin' Dots in those things now. That Dippin' Dots is such, I mean, like, dude, it doesn't get any better than a real, real ice, ice cream. Real ice cream? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shortened lifespan be damned. <laughs> nice. Well... Uh, yeah, we got a, an awesome show today. Uh, we're going to talk. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some NBA storylines. Uh, we're going to talk about someone else's big ice cream belly. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to view that that pig you just did. Uh, that I just cooked. Thank cooked. you. Yeah, I well, just did. you just did. How could you? Uh, and then we're going to try some beers. Uh, I had an opportunity to uh, travel to Sacramento, and I have a, a, a brewery that's. Near and dear to me, um, it's really really nice guys. Uh, track seven, I stopped by there, and uh, they hooked it up for free. Beautiful for free. <laughs> yeah, they they were like, I'm surprised you drove this far, moron. We don't even remember who you are, but here's some sympathy. Somebody growlers. left these growlers behind. They've been out for a couple of days, so you, you can have them. Uh, you them, can have and them. then I also uh, on my travels back. Stop by uh, this little brewery in Petaluma called Lagunitas, and they as well. Those Dutch bastards gave me a gigantic <laughs> Dutch bastard device. <laughs> uh, they gave me a gigantic growler of some beer to try. So that's outstanding. If we're still standing upright by the end of this episode, there's something wrong with us. Well, I do every episode laying down as it is. <laughs> I bring an inflatable mattress in. You I do, find I, I find it makes everyone else uncomfortable, and that makes me happy. It really gives you the vocal range that you need. When you're laying down on your back like that, it's make you're calm, you're relaxed. I can see your feet right now. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. That's just because my holes have my socks have holes in them, <laughs> or my holes have socks. Gross. All right, so uh, let's get after it. I mean, well, we uh, we talked last week about spring training. That trip is still coming up for you. Uh, yes, there are uh, pitchers and catchers are are in full swing. Position players are in full swing. It's awesome. There's already bad news coming out of the Giants camp. Yes. Matt, Matt Cain, cyst removed from his throwing arm. That is neither here nor there. He'll be back throwing in 10 days. So, so they say. Well, I don't know. I know. But right now, uh, this is the time that uh, the NBA really jumps to the front of America's uh, consciousness. You know, it exists pretty much from, you know, Halloween until – Valentine's Day, and then the All Star Game hits, and the the dunk contest hits, and everybody gets really excited. And now we're down, you know, the home stretch. Football's done for a while. You know, college basketball. We can talk about the tragedy that college basketball is these days. Right. Um, we will do a March Madness show here. I can assure you of that. Um, but 
the NBA is really hitting its stride right now. You're coming down. Everybody's down to the last. Um, you know, it's technically the second half starts when the All Star game is over, but everybody at that point has already played 50 plus games. So you're really coming down to the last, you know, third to a quarter of the season. Right. At this point, and there is and, a and lot. And this is this is when injuries are playing its toll, or, or in some cases, helping your team if you are out injured. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this is when, yeah, you start seeing, uh, you know, the the fatigue set in. Mm-hmm. I mean, All Star break is anything but a break. Uh, but now, you know, these players are coming back. Although this year, the break, I feel like, for the Warriors anyway, was really long. It was like nine days where they didn't play. It was crazy. And most of the time, I remember three and four days. I think, you know. The, I think it's because it was in Toronto, and the exchange rate for days is much greater. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, this is – now, again, we know we've kind of talked before about, you know, clearly you're you're much more of a uh, – Hoophead. As you're in well, – you're literally in your Warriors – jacket head uh but I, you know i'm i'm the uh the the bandwagon guy who's just kind of tuning in for the last two or three years this is uh this is exciting i mean I, and this is not just bay area this is everything uh you know all of a sudden basketball's become really cool again i mean i'm not going to say that it's another another kobe in his in his youth uh or lebron in his youth or uh i think she would go gomez just walked by <laughs> not oh, yeah? that matters Oh wow! If he's if that's Chewy Gomez, we got to get him in here. It's either that or be real from Cypress Hill. They <laughs> both look the very similar. Uh, sorry to derail. Um, well, listen, I, you really you make a good point about this being sort of a, a Renaissance Golden Age of the NBA because there was there was an identity crisis with the NBA. They went through this. Um, you know, there was the the golden era of Magic and Bird and Michael and Patrick Ewing and all these guys, and you know the Eastern Conference was at the height of its powers, and right. you know, and then. Uh, you know, com- coming towards, uh, you get towards the end of that era, and eventually the Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, Los Angeles Lakers became a big thing. Um, you know, the Rockets in between, Michael Jordan's, you know, he had his dalliances with baseball. The Rockets won back-to-back championships. But you got toward the end of that era, and it really became um, sort of with the arrival of Allen Iverson. Iverson is one of the greatest players ever. Uh, the guy was electrifying. His crossover, his ball handling, his ability to shoot, his toughness, he was amazing, but his general demeanor and that basketball style rubbed people the wrong way. Yes, there was not a lot of passing. He created a lot of a lot of shots off the dribble. Uh, his um, his uh, style, his you know fashion sense, just oh, the way he carried the, himself, uh, well, rubbed the swagger. It Plus, rubbed white America the make, wrong way. He made the uh, the neoprene sleeves really cool. Yes, he did. That he was the first guy that I can recall doing it. Well, there it's a it, yeah he was he was it's a cyclical thing right because there was a time you know in the late seventies early eighties where the NBA was um, you know too urban I mean that's if you watch some of the thirty for thirties for ESPN they talk about God, when that changed so over great. they're so great but I haven't seen a one that I've not liked uh, yeah I agree they're I agree. awesome. You know, it was too urban. They had it. They were perceived as having a drug problem, and it was hard for a lot of America to relate to the NBA. And then uh, Magic Johnson, a marketable face, Larry Bird, a marketable face. These guys started to show up. The teams became unbelievable. The Showtime Lakers, all this stuff. There was an excitement in the league. And right. then Michael showed up and really sort of signified the beginning of the end of that era because he was such a dominant player. He was such a dominant player that um, you know you had to figure out ways to stop him. And then you tried to – It's a, all these professional sports leagues are copycat leagues. So they tried to do the same – people try to find their one guy and build the team around him. Right. And so you ended up getting – you know, it even bled through. You Even now you see sort of like these relics to that style. You know, Carmelo Anthony, for example, needs to have the ball in his hands all the time in order to be successful. Um, you know. But, but going back to what you said about Jordan, I mean, 
yeah, he brought it to the next level, but he was like the poster boy. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, it wasn't necessarily, you know, Magic was the face, but then all of a sudden Jordan brought this excitement. And then he also brought this uh, this whole marketing that, you know, Nike yeah. would, would probably not be anywhere where they are today well, without he was, his face and out his with his talent. You make a great point because he, it was, you know, the Showtime Lakers are a great example, right? It was Magic's team, but he also had, you know, Worthy and Jabbar and Michael oh, yeah. Cooper and all these guys, right? But they, So they, were, as a team, were electrifying, right? Then you had Michael Jordan, who transcended the sport on an individual level. All those championships that he won, he was surrounded by good players. He and Scottie Pippen are two of the best 50 players there's ever been. But can you, you, if you thought hard, you could probably list me three or four more guys from any combination of guys from those teams that won six titles. Right. But it was really about Michael and Scottie, mm-hmm. right? So then there was this, you know, obviously from a marketing standpoint, you're absolutely right. Now teams are trying to copy that. Let's get our guy and build around him. So then we went through some of that, and there was an image issue again where it was too much isolation. There was not enough ball movement. The Spurs kind of started to change that, and they did it without any flashy players. And now the Warriors, um, we've obviously just given a very quick Reader's Digest version of the history there, but right. you know, the Spurs really, I'm about. I really created <laughs> a standard, and now the Warriors are doing it. They do it all the right ways with the flash and the star power at the same time. They are this, this confluence of all the things that have made the NBA great over the last 30 years – and they do all of them at the same time. They've they have changed the way that people are playing basketball, and you're seeing it permeate throughout the league. Um, you know, everybody's trying to go to this small ball lineup. Everybody's shooting the three now. Everybody, you know, yeah. everybody's trying to get out and run. It's a much more exciting game because of that. Um, well, I think that that's not you know the only word you can really use. I mean, exciting is an understatement. I mean. It seems like every and and um, you take the Warriors out of it. Obviously, that's exciting for us. But you you know, just everything that's been going on. It just you know, and it's obviously Kobe's last year too. But it just becomes like every game is really exciting. Every yeah. game has been really close. Um, it's been it's the three point shot makes it like yeah, that, Ben. Because I know. it gets you know you're never out of it, right? If you have anybody any semblance of three point shooters, you're never out of it. You're down nine points with nine minutes or with ninety seconds left. Yeah, you you're know. still in. Yeah, the only thing about the NBA right now that sucks is the hack of whoever strategy. Yeah, you sent me that article, and uh, I wish you would have sent me a Reader's Digest version because I tuned out after page three. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, that's that's a great article, a great point, you know, talking about just the, the hack attack of, of basketball. Of, you know, it's just – Yeah, it's tough to watch. It's tough to watch. But if you – you know, I am a, a diehard, fanatical – hoops guy um you know as we've we've referenced a few times mm-hmm. um but there are a few things even if you are just the casual fan that you're gonna want to look out here towards the end of the season because um it is going to be exciting i know it pretty much feels like it's going to be warrior spurs and the western conference finals and then warriors Cavs and the nba finals that feels like a foregone conclusion mm-hmm. um there's a reason why they play the games so you don't know that that's going to be the case um, but even assuming that that's a foregone conclusion there are some other things that you should be looking forward to all right give me uh, how many points do you think you get uh, I have five. Five. I have five. Let's start. Number okay. Five, number one. All right, so number five. Yes. Uh, I think um, the fifth best thing that you should be looking at uh, is how uh, quickly the Houston Rockets have turned into a an enormous dumpster fire. The Western Conference is not as deep as it has been in years past, so they still have a chance to make the playoffs. I think they're only a game under five hundred at this point. But if you watch James Harden, a relic to a time where you just had one guy that handled the ball a lot, mm-hmm. and Dwight Howard, who's a huge baby, and you watch those guys just continually fail to get on the same page and mm-hmm. then not defend uh, after the amount of shit that they talked Last during year. the postseason. Yes. How much smack that their Daryl Morey, their GM, talked about how 
you know, the Warriors were lucky, and you know, he was one of a number of guys that that talked that line. To watch these guys, these mercurial, you know, big ego personality guys, just take a dump night in and night out. Well, I think that's that's so rewarding because I, I, you know, like I said, that's one of the things that the storylines from last year was just like. You know, the Warriors did so well, and every, you know, people were, oh well, you know, Harden said he deserved to be the MVP over Curry, and uh, you know, it's just oh they're lucky and this and that, and it's just like I feel like the Warriors are playing now. Their new lo- slogan for next year is going to be "Taste It." You know, like <laughs> yeah. this is what we did. <laughs> yeah, no, and so watching that, you know, that's that's a little spiteful. I get that, but um, those are two great players, Dwight Howard. Um, for all intents and purposes, should be one of the most dominant forces in the league. His size, his quickness, his athleticism. And he just has never put it all the way together. It's just, it's awful. It's awful. And James Harden makes no attempt to defend. And it really it's like watching Howdy Doody. They they're a mess on defense. So that's <laughs> that's my that's my number five. My number four point to look for is what is going to happen with the Los Angeles Clippers and Blake Griffin. So if you know the story, the car jumping, uh, assistant punching. Yeah, car fella. jumping, assistant punching, ginger boy. <laughs> He and a he and an assistant who's close with got into a your mama joke fight and got really heated and he punched the guy in the face and fractured his hand. Was it seriously over your mama jokes? Uh, yes, <laughs> unsubstantiated. Yes. Okay. So, because uh, I've said a lot of good yo mama jokes, but I've never got anyone close to I me. Mean, people like, hey man, yo bro, that's enough. Yeah. But never like just full on. No, this must punches. be pretty. I mean, it, I so mean it must he doesn't. Have been a he doesn't. Doozy. He doesn't look particularly bright. That's the other thing. Um. You know, it's that cruel magnet forehead. Exactly. So the Clippers, they are, uh, they are a good team that seems to be, that seems to have all the pieces to be great, but have never put it together. Um, that one didn't sound as good as last week's. It was a can. This one's a bottle. Mm. Uh, and so the thing is, he hurt himself. He was already hurt. And then he broke his hand punching this guy in the face, and they have actually been better. Than since he's been gone, they're twenty and seven since he's been hurt. Um, which he's a great player; he's a dominant force. They're clearly not better without him, but as it just appears that way on the surface, it certainly does. And I could see where you know they haven't been able to really put it together with him on the on the team. You only have so many years left of Chris Paul. You could make the argument that a dominant, like truly top tier point guard that can run the offense and plays great defense is probably more important than a guy like Blake Griffin, who's ex- expanded his game to the perimeter. Mm-hmm. You know, and which is what everybody is doing. So he's he's just a, a great athlete in a league full of great athletes. Um, he's a great player, and he makes them better. But they've played better without him. So we're just going to see what happens. You know, he's going to get right right around the time of the playoffs start. Um, so what are the Clippers going to do? They're going to have to try and piece it back together, integrate him back into the offense. Your momentum changes when that happens, for better or for worse. And you're going to go into the playoffs, and you're going to have to face. The Spurs, the Thunder, the Warriors. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. That's tough for them. So it, it he's a marketable guy. He does. A, he's great in those Kia commercials. Um, <laughs> he he bothers well, me the, because he throws his head around like a maniac. Oh, he flops. He flops yeah. like nothing else. But you know, looking at his contract, and he's got two more years after this season on his contract. He puts fans in the seats. He's yeah. not going anywhere. Well, you'd be surprised because people will pay. You could get a Are king's ransom. Are we going to wager? Uh, no, because I'm not convinced that that's going to happen. I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me. And I also think that the fact that they're better since he's been hurt has gone, uh, 
is more in tune with the fact that Austin Rivers, who is a chump, had gotten hurt at that time. And they also traded away Josh Howard and Lance Stevenson. So they got a lot of better for that. So that's something else to look forward to. My personal favorite thing, this is not the number one storyline, but this is my personal favorite thing. Are we on number three? This is number three. Uh, Anthony Davis, who is the forward-center combo for the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Yes, he also gets his taxes done in H&R Block. He does. He also does not get his unibrow taken care of anywhere. Clearly. Uh, Unibrow Airlines, one of my favorite nicknames. He, uh, on Saturday night, I believe last week, put up 59 points and 20 rebounds and has since gone out. And had, and they still lost, correct? Uh, no, they they won. They won that one? They won. It was oh, an overtime okay. game. But they he went out, and I think he scored 30, but he got 20 rebounds again. Anthony Davis is an exciting player. That team is full of guys that over overperformed last year and are now hurt. Mm-hmm. So they don't. He's not surrounded by a bunch of great talent. His he signed a big time contract extension before the season started. He's eligible to make it's an insane amount of money starting next year. That's when the extension kicks in 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, he can make an additional twenty three million dollars more if. Uh, over the life of the contract, if he gets voted onto the All Star All Star team as a starter twice, mm-hmm. or if he's named to the first, second, or third All NBA team, or if he's the league MVP, he's not going to be the league MVP. He was not an All Star starter. He currently here's why it gets exciting because he's going to be playing at a high level, right? But if he tries to, he they play a very fluid style of offense. Mm-hmm. So he plays sometimes for sometimes the center, sometimes the forward. If he if he plays spends most of his time at forward, he's likely not going to make the All NBA team because he's playing. You know, you've got Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, LeBron James, Pau Gasol, Al Horford, Paul George, Lamarcus Aldridge. All those guys will fill the forward spots before, before he does. Right. If he plays most of his time at center, the only person who is going to be arguably a better center than him is Demarcus Cousins. Nobody else is going to put up any kind of numbers like that. But the problem is is that they don't often start him at center. They start him at forward. So there's a very interesting sequence of what's going to go on here. You know, Alvin Gentry's a good coach. He was with the Warriors last year. He's an offensive guy. You know, he's, they're obviously struggling because a lot of his talent is hurt. You know, what do you do? He's such a freakish athlete and a freakish talent. What's going to happen? He's going to put up some explosive numbers. So he will be very fun to watch down the stretch here because nobody – you can't guard him. Right. You can only hope to kind of keep his numbers in check. So that'll be a really fun thing down the stretch here. Nice. Uh, number two? Number two. Who's going to challenge the Cavs uh, in the Eastern Conference? The thing you have to ask yourself is, is there a challenger, and do you want there to be a challenger? Because uh, do you want somebody to finally get LeBron knocked out or this, that, anything, or do you want to see a rematch of what you believe, what we all kind of believe to be the eventuality Warriors in the NBA well, Finals? Well, you want the rematch. You do want the rematch. Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know what? I can I, tell you what, TNT wants to rematch. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they all do. They all do. Um, but if you are looking for somebody to challenge them, it's it's Toronto. Toronto is great at home. They're like 11-1 and one in their last 12 games at home. They're uh, top 10 in defense, defensive efficiency, top 5 in offensive efficiency. They're third in three-point shooting percentage. They're 10th in field goal percentage against, which is the real metric of how good of a defensive team you are. Um, you know, they are big. They can rebound. They defend. They have great guards. Kyle Lowry's having a great season. Um, you know, they are a team that will challenge. They can create some problems for Cleveland, although I don't think – I think Cleveland eventually comes out of it, but I think Toronto is a lot more interesting than um, – a lot more interesting than we out here on the West Coast will know for mm-hmm. the most part. 
And then the number one thing to look forward to are the Warriors. Numero uno. Are the Warriors going to get the, the single season wins record? Are they going to get to 73 wins? That would, that would set the record. Um, we just we listened to them on the way down here. We did. Uh, they scored 130 points against the Orlando Magic. Steph Curry went for 51. He went 20 of 27, um, which is a ridiculous number. I don't see a scenario. Even if one of the key players gets injured, I'm sorry if it curses anybody, but even if there's a major injury on their team, they, their roster is so deep. That there's, I just don't see that freight train stopping. Well, if if Draymond gets hurt, that's a problem. And if Curry gets hurt, then you they have like two more wins, and then they clinch a playoff spot. Right. So if Curry gets hurt and has to miss some time, you shut it down and make sure everybody gets rest. Mm-hmm. You know, once you get yourself clinched in, and make sure that you're that you're one of the top four, so you get home court advantage. You do not want to go to San Antonio and have to play a game seven in San Antonio if you can avoid it. No. Um, but, yeah, I think barring Curry or Draymond being the guys that get hurt, I don't I don't see them losing. They play uh, like 19 out of the last 25 at home or something crazy like that, So, <clears throat> which they're unbeatable. So they play Oklahoma City in Oklahoma City uh, Saturday night. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a big win. That'll be a big one. They still have to play the Spurs three more times. Um, but the schedule really, after this road trip, the schedule really gets easier. So it's an exciting thing. You know, we brought the Warriors up in the beginning. They're good for the NBA. Oh, they're exciting. They're an exciting brand of basketball. You know, people will start to hate them because they're winning, but they're not a hateable team. Like the Clippers have some prima donnas on that team. It's easy to kind of to kind of think that they're a bunch of punks. It's easy to – LeBron can be a polarizing guy. It's easy to think that um, he's a baby or he's a chump. Delavadova, the guy that's injuring guys left and right. You right. Know, it's, it's easy to hate those guys. There's not that kind of guy – on the Warriors, for the most part, people no. don't like Draymond Green because he's an agitator, but he's not a he's not a punk about it. You no, know, he's got he's got class. I mean, the you know biggest thing he does is he flexes his arms. Big deal. Yeah, and he's you know he gets technicals for getting into it with the refs, but he rarely gets technicals for like actually getting into it with other players and whatnot. He, he's a they're a fun team. They're good for the league. They're great for the image of the league. That's the biggest storyline because. Totally but agree. the other the other thing is Ben, you, I gotta ask you, does the record matter to you as a fan? Would you rather? Would you rather them chase down 72 and extend everybody's minutes, or would you rather see them just get the number one seed and then shut it down regardless of what the record's going to be? I, re- I personally don't care. I mean, I think that I think the record is going to happen. The, the road down there, obviously, as the the games are going and the wins are happening, the closer they get, the more exciting it's going to get. It's going to become playoff basketball before, you know, before playoffs really happen. But I think I, I really don't care. I mean, I, I want to see him. I, you know, my thing is I want to see him go and get another championship. I want to see him win back. a championship, too. So the 73 wins doesn't matter to me as no, much. But I think, I mean, let me put on my salesman hat for a minute. That's going to sell a lot of beer. Oh, sure. So, I mean, do I want that? Do I want that excitement? Do I want to be able to walk into, you know, any bar with a TV and have an exciting time while I'm there and have a pack full of people? Of course. That sounds fun. Well, but here's the here's the crazy. This is how you know we really are in a golden age. The... They have to. They might have to win seventy three games to stay ahead of the Spurs. You might, for the first time in league history, have two seventy win teams in a season. That's Ooh, how good the Spurs that's are. Crazy. Although Kawhi Leonard's hurt, he's got a little calf thing, so they might be. They might have some issues. Although Popovich is a great coach, it, so that's interesting. Interesting. So it's the chase for the record is about the record and also about staying ahead of the Spurs. Right. So that's the best storyline, I think. All right. That's. A, I like that. I agree with your number one. I agree on all points. Those are, I have my exact same one through five. That is it's uncanny. Remarkable. Maybe it's because I photocopied your tablet while you were in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's a possibility or a reality. 
Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I kind of want to get into the next segment, but before we get into the next segment, I saw a picture on Instagram of a big fat belly from a former giant. Oh, God. Pablo. Oh, the Kung Fu Panda. Boy, that guy is just, he got that paycheck and clearly he's spending it at eating. Because <laughs> that belly is huge, biggest it's ever been. Dude, I. My and I'm cr- a big dude, I can, I can say that. Mike Kruko, totally who is fine. the color analyst for the Giants play-by-play. Super nice guy, by the way. Is he? Yes. Uh, I believe it. Have I told you I've met him several times? Uh, you haven't. Oh, That's awesome, yeah. though. That's a good one. Um, he said on the you know, the Giants flagship station's morning show this past week that Pablo clearly has an eating disorder. He's seen that guy put in the work. He's seen that guy work hard in the batting cage, in the weight room, you know, doing the calisthenics and whatnot, but he can't keep the weight off. He just can't do it. It's crazy to me because the Red but, Sox spent all offseason talking about how they had put these expectations on him, and then he shows up looking like that, which means that he either didn't listen, which makes the Red Sox look bad for paying him, or they lied to the public, which makes him look, <laughs> makes him look bad right. for saying that because he out and out said, I don't ever weigh in. Not that that was a big shock to anybody. No. But he said, I don't weigh in. I just put in my work, man. This is a dude that they had to bench at parts of the year because he was getting dizzy rounding the bases. Which he didn't do that often. His batting average is below 250 for most of the year. So he only had to round the bases like twice a week. But That sounds like something that would happen to me. <laughs> just atrocious. <laughs> it's it's embarrassing. And the the sad thing, I think the, the, the sad thing in all of this, whether you care if he's a, a Red Sox now or not, um, or a former Giant, you know, so many kids looked up to him. Yeah, it's true. And I just feel like with the obesity epidemic happening with kids, some kid is sitting back going, well... I'm going to power down these corn dogs because look at Pablo. Clearly, I could still play at a high level and be a fat ass. I mean, right. I just – it's not the message, but it's just the underlying message. I feel that's sure. there. And it, baseball's had that had that working against them to some degree anyway. You know, you've got guys like David Wells or even David Ortiz for the longest time. Yeah. You know, he was a big boy too. But, you know, you got guys like David Wells. And when we were kids, you had Rick Russell and Don Robinson. and Prince. Prince yeah, Fielder. Yeah, Prince Fielder. His dad, Cecil Fielder, for yeah. God's sake. You know, you had all these guys that – you know that were kind of big. The Pablo big Sandoval boys. thing. The the Pablo Sandoval thing is sad. I mean, he was such a a loved superstar here. But I'll tell you what, uh, as a Giants fan, it sure is nice to not have to hear that storyline in the, oh, every in, day. the, in, the every in the San Francisco Chronicle every right. morning. Good God! All right. Well, um, speaking of now, I'm kind of hungry for a taco. Talk about all this food. What about a burrito? I'd eat probably both of those right now. He's eating both of those. <laughs> I'm on the Pablo diet. What's that? Eat everything. Well, I think in a few minutes we're probably going to discuss some things that you may not want to eat burritos anymore. True. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we're going to take a quick break, stretch our legs, and then we're going to talk about some nasty food. And some delicious food. Yes. All in the same break. You'll have to be the one to decide which is which, though. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. Brad and Ben and Brad and Beats Beer. <laughs> uh, I was I didn't want to talk. We're getting the sign from Charlene like you're on, you're on, you're on, and I'm just sitting there bobbing my head. Yeah, bad brains. Yeah, I was doing a terrible job of, of scatting <laughs> and, and freestyling over it. Did you say scatting or shatting? Uh, come over here and smell and find out. <laughs> well, after we talk about these next two subjects, you'll be able to find out for yourself. <laughs> Interesting that this is segment number two. Ooh, all stars align. So if you remember from last week's show, we discussed the uh, 
the, the big pig or the, the suckling pig, actually. Yeah, we did a suckling pig, which actually, if you recall, if you were listening, you remember that suckling pigs are um, all two months uh, old or younger, and they have yet to be weaned off of their mother's teat. Um, and I believe there are tons of pictures of said pig on our uh, Facebook page. Because actually, we failed to mention our social media sites at the lead in of the show. Because we do have a Facebook page, we do have an Instagram page, and we even have Twitter. I've not I've not done a lot of tweetering myself. That's what the kids are doing these days. The Twitter, the millennials. It's, yeah, big time. Well, you just I just learned I just learned what the millennials are. Oh, so God. I'm trying to throw it around. They're a very I can. angry, angry group. They're not. <laughs> They think they are. They think they're the angriest of them all. Well, I don't want to like make anybody feel sort of out of demographic here, but I am a millennial, and I do not feel angry about anything. That's funny, because I'm a Gen X. Yeah, I know. It's so weird. This whole time, I've never felt divided from you until now. Well, fuck. He just stopped holding my hands, everybody. <laughs> well, you got up for a chance. You're laying down still. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about this pig. So we uh, we cooked that some bitch right up. Yeah, I uh, um, we we had this cool idea. Actually, uh, one of the one of my right hand men at the restaurant had this idea. We we took the head and we actually boiled it in uh, duck fat. Um, yeah, we talked about that last time. Really and, and slow and low. It looks disgusting. It looks awesome. It looks well. Awesome. I mean, it looks aw- if you were expect like a horror movie, totally great special effect. Well, if I'm ordering dinner or lunch. Not so cool. So the one that we the one that we looked at at the sh- on the show last week, uh, that guy had done it for like had cooked that thing down and then dipped it in some kind of batter and fried it. Yes, that's Be- because we did it without the batter part, and it looked it looked just like if it had just come straight out of the barbecue. Acceptable. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it looked like a pig's head for right. God's sake. Um, so anyway, so we kind of like me without my body. <laughs> uh, there will be some great photos that I have now collected from various uh, various uh, cell phones and whatnot that we'll be putting up on both uh, the Kinsmoke Restaurant Facebook page and Instagram account, and then also for Sports Meets Beer. Um, I actually chose to butcher that thing down during lunch service in front of everybody. The dining room at our restaurant has you, the kitchen is very visible. Oh yeah, yeah, um, it's like that uh, that open expo style kitchen where. Yeah, so that's, but that's also the appeal of the place, the Healdsburg. That's why it's kind of cool, right? So, but I took the opportunity to really kind of break it down, and I was actually surprised by how few people were really grossed out, and how many people wanted to like pose, like take pictures of it, which was I thought was awesome. I thought it actually spoke to sort of how progressive the food scene is these days. Would that uh, be a piggy selfie? A piggy selfie, yeah. Uh, ho- hoggy, so hogsies. I don't know. <laughs> um, so anyway, so one of the things that. Uh, is critical. Uh, we talked about it last week. When you're doing something of that nature, is you want to make sure that you do indirect heat, indirect heat, indirect heat, because there is so much fat in it. And our guy, while it was 50 pounds or under, um, it was not actually a suckling pig. And I know that because of how much sort of sinew and how tough and the color of the muscle that was there. Um, he was under he was under 50 pounds, but uh, he had clearly just been a runt or something because there was way too much sort of cleaning that I had to do yeah. of the sinew and whatnot. Uh, and then what that means is that it was going to have to go a little longer than I had originally anticipated. Like normally when it's a suckling pig and he's really young, you can take it to like 150 on the internal temperature and you'll get it nice and tender. But this guy we had to take all the way through to like 180. And we made the mistake of um, letting the fire die in the barbecue pit. 
So we have like a big oiler pit, which is the firebox is in the back. It's indirect, and it's sort of flued into this big chamber. The chamber's got like a carousel in it, Mm -hmm. really. Um, And we let, I say we, um, only because as a show of solidarity to the butthole that did it, uh, we let the fire die, and the fire, the temperature in the barbecue dipped below the the internal temperature of the pork. So we had gotten it to like one... 50 or so and then the temperature in the barbecue pit dip below 150 right so so that's what's commonly known as stalling out yeah it's going to take more time to get the temperature back up which will in turn cook it longer and dry out the meat yeah exactly see i do listen exactly so uh you know we did this little guy as an as a science experiment because we i'd never cooked on a cooked a whole hog on or any uh, suckling or any kind of pig on this um, cooker before on this barbecue pit before, mm-hmm. so we I did it knowing that there was a chance that something like this could happen. Um, I was disappointed because it ended up just taking a lot longer to get done. It wasn't ruined. Um, we just we had kind of gathered some of our team together to do like an eight o'clock dinner, and we ended up not being able to eat it till almost ten, right. um, which was a bummer. But well, if you're in Spain, that's normal. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't look at it that way. Exactly. Well, I as, yeah. uh, as some say, the sangria glass is half full. <laughs> So, uh, so it ended up coming out great. We had, you know, it had great barking. You'll see the pictures of the actual cooked animal and whatnot. But I will say the coolest part was gathering all of, um, you know, gathering all of the team from the restaurant together. And you know, a lot of our team is pretty young, um, and we're we're not setting the world on fire in terms of like renovate or in terms of like re re uh, reinventing re- the wheel. Yeah, reinventing the food scene in any way. So these like our programs in the kitchen are pretty simple. So we don't have a bunch of James Beard Award winners yet. We're trying to teach them and set them up to get there, but mm-hmm. um, it's a, there are a lot of things that these guys have not eaten. It's the grilled cheese, uh, grilled cheese generation. So the coolest thing was watching these guys cut out eyeballs, oh, yeah. cheeks, and you know break up this this rendered head and eat it last night. You know, well, the um, funniest picture I, I've seen so far was uh, the one that, uh, that of Quinn eating mm-hmm. right. And uh, the guys in the background, their horrified face. Just the disgusting. timing of that was perfect. So that was throw that one on there as well. Yeah, absolutely. We will. absolutely so, we will. well, the que- I mean, I guess the question because when I first asked you about it, you asked it, you acted as if you know the whole thing was ruined. Yeah, you know this and that. Well, what happened? You know, because the food waste part of that is real, and that's you know, thank goodness it wasn't ruined. It took a little longer. Yeah. But uh, you know, had that thing stalled out longer, took that much longer to cook, went to the late hours, then it's then you've got this. You know, hog with that you can't use unusable meat. Well, we actually, I mean, we have a fair amount of leftovers because it went so late. Not everybody wanted to stay. They got their right. fill on the pig head. You know, <laughs> so uh, so yeah, so we had some leftovers. I mean, we'll find ways to use it, and we didn't buy that to be able to turn around and sell it to the public. We did that as like no, a- that's yeah. You did you made that very clear that it was uh, you know just a, a simple experiment for yep. the restaurant. But it's interesting you bring up the uh, food waste though. Yes, um, I also uh, consequently I think on the same day. Oddly enough, I sent you the article yeah. that I saw on the book. Uh, this is uh, an article I'm speaking of is uh, f- from Edible Austin, um, and it's referring to uh, Chef Tom Calicchio. If you don't know who uh, Chef Calicchio is, he uh, he is the host of uh, Top Chef on Bravo, um, owns multiple restaurants, a very popular chef. His craft brand, his brand is called Craft. And if you haven't had a chance to eat at Craft Steak or Craft Feast or any of these places and you're around one, I highly recommend it. They're great. Yeah, they're amazing. But he's also now, um, he is the host or the, the, the food guy essentially for MSNBC mm-hmm. that's been recently appointed. So uh, in this article, it essentially talks about his new concept and it being 
you know, essentially a zero waste, zero food waste. Yeah, that's what that he's trying to sort of. Um, he did a documentary um, called uh, "Room at the Table," I believe it's called, mm-hmm. um, and it, the thing literally was, or it's a place at the table. I'm sorry. And that was um, yeah, it was uh, I think his wife directed or something like that. Yeah. Or so, it. Um, so the whole idea was, you know, hunger in America, and, and it, he breaks down in that. Um, it's a really, really good documentary. I've actually had seen it even before. Um, so we have a, we have a link to the article is on our uh, Facebook page. Uh, but ultimately, we're talking about waste, food waste. So what? Forty percent of all the food we produce in America ends up getting wasted, just by people not eating it, or it goes bad, or whatnot. Right. Um, and we, we, you know, uh, selfishly on the way down, we had that conversation about, you know, when uh, you know you make food for the week or food, you know, you make this big a big meal on Sunday or Saturday, however you do it, whatever your uh, methodology is at home. But I'm I'm completely content with eating leftovers the day after. The day after that, the day after that, it yeah. doesn't bother me one bit. I make some a big, people, some people are, can't do it. Yeah, no, that's and that's a very real thing. I I make a big, you know, spaghetti, you know, spaghetti and gravy for Sunday night. I'm very happy eating that for dinner Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday right. night. Absolutely. I love that you call it gravy and not sauce. There are people that can't do that though. Yeah. There are a lot of people that do that. You know, and it's uh, I well, think it's, it's a shame a, because you know there's there's obviously ways around it. And I'm not you know I'm not trying to my soapbox saying you know hey you know let's be less wasteful. I mean it's just an, it's a real thing. With seeing how many people are hungry and wasting forty percent of that food, yeah, it just seems it could be done. We could do it a better way. Well, on the soapbox side of it, you know, before we kind of jump off of it here, you know, we the you white would be laying down on your soapbox, by the way. Exactly, the white privilege of America <laughs> speaks to we are in love with the process of cooking. So we throw a dinner party, we all get together and we cook and we hang out, and then we're too drunk to eat all of it, and we end up going out and getting Jack in the Box anyway, like right. I mean, it's obviously an extreme example, but you know, the process of cooking is what we're really in love with. We're not necessarily mm-hmm. in love with eating it. That's such a weird disconnect. No, for I mean, the it idea is. of it's eating very, for sustenance, right? It's very romantic. It makes it a very fun experience. So we, you know, we talk about this. You know, we hear it. Sports meets beer. You know, we want you to be sort of as environmentally responsible, and socially responsible as you can. But the reality here is that there's a deeper issue from sort of a, from you know, from just cooking at your house. Um, if you have a bunch of food waste, that costs you money. Right. So, you you know, every recipe that you look up on, you know, Pinterest or Food Network or Bon Appetit or Savor or any of these guys, they all are designed for six to eight people. It's very easy to scale those things down. So, you know, if you're going to cook for, you know, six to eight people, then you should have six to eight people over, mm-hmm. right? Try not to cook for a whole army unless you're prepared and or willing and or interested in eating it for the next couple of days to take advantage of it because you're just throwing money down the toilet. I'm not even talking about being environmentally concerned. I'm talking about just being, you know, fiscally conservative. Right. You know, be aware of all those things. Well, I mean, this is this reaches, you know, again, you talked about your your millennials, right? The average age of a millennial right now is 24 years old, 24, 25. 25, yeah. Um, you know, that's most people are on a budget. Um, you know, Northern California is a very expensive place to live, and it's one of those things, especially if you spend all your money on awesome craft beer. But uh, mm-hmm. the reality is that Which, coincidentally, you, I bet you nobody's throwing out. Oh, no. No, there's no waste there. <laughs> no way. Uh, but, uh, no, the interesting part is just understanding, like, how much that really adds up. Because you know, the, the, the myth is always, you know, it's, it's you're going to save money. If you cook at home and you make your, your meals at home, you are saving money. And where that might be true for a sandwich, um, not necessarily the case for dinner. If, you have the, if, if you're doing those big dinner parties or if you are not comfortable enough with scaling down that recipe. So if you're, you know, if you're making a risotto, which or whatever you're doing, 
you can't scale that back to make it reasonable, and if you're not that leftover guy, then guy or girl, then you need to really think about how, what you're doing. Well, we hear all the time, you know, it's expensive to eat, you know, antibiotic-free meat or to eat fully organic produce. It's expensive to do those things. Sure, when you eat like an American, it is. Right. <laughs> you, don't exactly. have to, you don't have to have a 16-ounce steak. Right? Fat, happy, and aware. That's what right. I like to say. <laughs> Fat, happy, and conscious. <laughs> Uh, but no, it's truly if, if true portion control, which is something that I've happy can... and aware. That is, <laughs> I'm getting that tattooed on the small of my back. There you go. Oh, um, it, uh, but it's one of those things that I've I've struggled with my entire life is portion control. It's such a weird thing, you know. It's the whole you know eat everything on your plate mentality, and I'm not blaming mom and dad for that, but it's one of those things that I've always been taught to eat what it is, and I also cons- you know consistently have a very large plate when I put my food on there, so I have this big mound of food. Well, think about where your mom and dad ultimately came from, right? The Generation X and the baby boomers are what essentially spawned the millennials, right? Whatever the the new hip quite, term, quite frankly, the, the bullshit names for these genera- generations. So stupid. But you know, think about where they came from. We're two or three generations removed from the Great Depression. These people had nothing, right? You know, my my dad even, you know, my dad, he, I that guy doesn't throw anything away from a food standpoint. Hey, yeah, just scrape, just scrape the mold off the bread. It's fine, right? Oh. We, all right, you pulled you poured that bowl of cereal and you only have a little bit of milk. Just put water in it; it's fine. Right, right. Those like I can remember going through all of those things, you know. So it's crazy that there's been such this drastic jump of like, hey, you got to eat all of it. So we just, as a generation, just took that to the next extreme and just eat all of it, right? And, you know, and, and when then, I say eat all of it, do it for a bargain because you can get two tacos for ninety nine cents. Well, that's what I was getting at is that fast food really makes that worse because um, it's easy to get. You know, it's easy to get. It, you can get it. It's on demand, really. And when it comes so cheap, you don't value. This is a great part of this article that actually spoke to me heavily. Was you know, when food is cheap to get, it's easy to get. You don't value. You devalue it really. Mm-hmm. It loses its value to you. So you don't. You don't. You feel nothing when you throw it out. It's like, well, fuck it. I'm going to get a cheeseburger in an hour anyway, right? What's the difference? Right. You know. And so when you talk about you know sort of the ecological responsibility of this or you talk about the social responsibility of this to be aware of who doesn't have or the effect that this is having on the environment you know that's it gets lost in it because of how cheap and easy some of this fast food stuff is so if you say it's too expensive to eat high quality food right then let's back off the portion control a little bit let's eat the responsible food eat the appropriate amount don't have any weights left over Mm -hmm. you're going to find that it's going to wash out by the end of the week anyway right right and these, you know, quote unquote, millennials. He Calico makes a great point here. He's he's on MSNBC now, and he does most of his speaking through um, the digital platform. Mm-hmm. And his feeling is because you know, the millennials—that's where he can reach the most people that are the most interested. Right. right. Which do you think? This is sort of an out of left field one, but do you think that that actually feels counterintuitive? Like I want to reach the people that I'm already that are already engaged in this, because his idea of reaching the millennials, you know. I, I had to go through and kind of look exactly what creates a millennial. And, and Goldman Sachs says that um, they pretty much resemble prior generations, but with greater extremes. For example, they're more educated, more diverse, more tech savvy, less religious, and more liberal. Um, they're more engaged in this type of stuff, essentially, is what they're getting at. So you want to reach out to people that are more engaged in this thing? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to try and reach people that are less engaged? Well, no, the goal is to reach people who are engaged because A, they will then agree with you automatically. They're going to take that story and they're going to 
you're pointing at me, but they're gonna they're basically gonna wax poetic on it and and spin it off as if, as if it's their own idea. No, and the idea of the story I think is really where you get that right. I I hadn't played the angle, but I think that's exactly right. I think yeah. uh, because they they want to go. I mean, they're gonna go to their next. You know, they're gonna go eat somewhere with their other hipster friends and sit there and talk about well, this. Well, is millennials what, and hipsters aren't always the same. Man. They're not they're one always, and the same, but they're very very close on the same. Every line. hipster is a millennial, but not every millennial is a hipster. It's exactly. like bourbons and whiskeys. That's perfect. That's a great analogy. Um, so, you know, we can talk about that on our bourbons and whiskey special. I can't wait. I know. Uh, so one of the things, uh, he, when he talks about his digital platform, he said, you know, uh, millennials don't really care about who's opening a new restaurant, uh, but they do want to know where their food comes from, the labor it takes to produce it and the environmental effects. Um, I don't know that that's all entirely true. People care about who's opening what restaurant where, you know, when I, yeah, I, they want, I mean, it's not always, it doesn't have to necessarily be a. A celebrity chef opening a restaurant of any of any level. You can't but tell me like from you know we're barbecue guys, right? So you can't tell me that the Aaron Franklin doing a pop up in San Francisco and his oh, ticket selling well, out in less than thirty minutes. People care right. about who's opening what. I'm I'm speaking more of you live in town, a new restaurant's going in. Do you really care about who's cooking, or do you care more about the concept? Well, I think if there's a celebrity involved, then you do care about who. But I think the who goes if it's not somebody that's widely known, the who then goes hand in hand with. What is being cooked there, right? What are your business practices? Um, which, interestingly enough, so that actually takes us into, you know, when you talk about business practices and, and people are concerned about where their food is coming from and, and all these things. So what is, you know, and the the sort of fast food, what's the, in, in the fast food world, what's like the bastion of like natural, you know, natural, like real food? What is the? Subway. <laughs> eat fresh, right? Eat fresh. But no, like, you know, you. Eat fresh it, and touch children. You're oh. just now starting to see. Uh, you know, commercials start to pop up, which we're going to get into in a second as to why that is. But you're trying to see it now. It's been sort of, it's been sort of, it's had like a cult following. It was really big in college towns for a while. And now it's really, especially in California, um, you know, their idea of, you know, fresh food, you know, a few ingredients done a thousand ways, right? We're talking about Chipotle. Oh. Everybody loves burritos. Everybody loves tacos and, you know, the burrito bowls. Well, here's the thing that I, I'm not a huge Chipotle fan. And, and the reason why, is because we are located in Northern California, where there are a million taquerias yeah, that yeah. do it. You know, not maybe not as fast, but damn near as fast, and the quality is is authentic. So I always wonder, like, why are people spending their time and money to go to Chipotle when you've got a, a you know a taqueria, a, a, a you know a block away? That's well, how many you. Chipotles do we have in in our area of Sonoma County? Four. Okay, so. I mean, we're a bad example because there really are, you know. But you talk about nationwide; they they tout themselves as. Oh well, if you go to Wichita, Kansas, you're probably going to get great. You know, Chipotle is going to be your main source for Mexican food. Right, but so my point is, is that you know, as fast food goes, right? Like, right. Not, I'm not necessarily debating the quality of it or not, but as fast food goes, I just had to throw that in. I just yeah, no, stance. I know you're, you know, you're a Mexican food hipster. We get it. <laughs> um, you know, so as as fast food goes, they are the sort of the ones that really have been able to stand by their all natural. They cook everything they have in, right. you know, in this in the kitchen that's right there. They source it as locally as they can from wherever that concept is. They buy yes. from what you would call the food shed. If you've seen food, if you've seen or read Food Inc., you know what that means. It's yes, so your local area, right? So. You, know, you have a radius of where you're buying your product. Exactly right. So let me dumb it down for my four friends. <laughs> I'm right, minus, I'm minus right here. <laughs> okay, my three friends that so, I like. So you know they were able to sort of stand by that. Here's 
and they've obviously had some fallen on some hard times here with the uh, the E. coli outbreak. Yes. Um, do you think? I guess here's the question I'm ultimately getting at. So they're they've now started to advertise more than they ever have about the freshness and the na- all the all natural ingredients and whatnot. They've started to advertise that harder than they ever have. They're they're open for operations again. They had shut down here for two weeks in the beginning of the month to recover from their 55 outbreaks of E. coli nationwide. Ugh. Um, Gosh. 21 hospitalizations from eating it. Chipotle. Um, so they went through this whole thing. It's 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 on the FDA website. If you want to go through and read everything that Chipotle had to go through to get their restaurants back open again. Um, oh well, a- you know, make no mistake that you go to Chipotle this week, you are not going to get anything that has not been gone over with a fine tooth comb yeah. at any point in that transaction. I mean, yeah. it's yeah, I'm talking from start to finish. That's been, you know, micromanaged, if you will. And uh, so I think. Where, you know, sort of where Colicchio is talking about, like, this millennial generation and how they are engaged with this type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where sort of the desire for fast food, uh, fast food quickly and sort of um, where Chipotle had carved out its niche with people. I guess what I'm ultimately getting at is they're going to stick with that. Although the, if you believe or if you read some of what their new operations are, they're starting to cook in, like, commissary areas, like in kitchens and then ship it out. To the restaurants, which was never their thing before. No, but that's a that's a fairly common practice. It with, absolutely with, is, but they've hung their hat on the fact that they don't do that, right? Because they're cooking food from that from next door, really. But then understand that they can't always control. Well, no, what that comes out because you know the janitor with with poopy stinky fingers doesn't wash his hands, and then hey, can you fill in the shift? You know. Yeah, no, exactly. But that's what they're doing now, right? So they've been hanging their head. So are people going to be are people going to be able to look past this thing? Because they want their fast food still, right? And Chipotle still has this mission statement, so people even look past it and continue on with this. I think where the people, they're going. I think the people who give a shit about that are they've lost them for customers. It's the same people who you Wait, lost, who give a shit about what? Who gave it? Who gives a shit about the E. coli breakout? Some people are gonna look at it and go, "Well, eh, well, I didn't get sick, and I'm I'm still here, and I ate Chipotle." Idea of like, hey, yeah, that that yeah. plane got hijacked, but you know, it, well. That's a little extreme. Well, but. no, but I'm just saying, like, you could fly, like, people, there are people who will never fly again because that happens, right? Right. And then there are people who will get, right, it's probably safer now than it's ever been. Correct. Because people learn from that. So, yeah. It's- no, but, yeah, my point is that I, I think that the the customer, the demographic that they lost probably wasn't the, you know, two or three time a week, you know, Chipotle near their work kind of person. But uh, the people who are, you know, there's people that love Chipotle for whatever reason. Uh, and that's their own reason. Good for them. But... I think those people are going to look past that. They tried something else in the meantime, and if it's usually like a work thing, whether their you know their uh, morals stood in the way of them going to Subway, uh, or whatever the case may be, whatever's local, but you're not going to find some of them with that quality. I mean, unless you have an Amy's Kitchen nearby, which is that's just open by our in Runner Park, yeah. and that's a, a whole other conversation. But most people aren't that fortunate. You're going to have your choices are going to be McDonald's, Burger King, maybe a Wendy's. And it seems like Wendy's never got over the thumb of the chili, in my opinion. They ne- they never really had a high point to begin with. That was fake, by the way. That happened at the at the Wendy's by my house in San Jose. I know it was totally fake, but that's not the point. The bad PR from it. They never really came back, and then they have that stupid redhead in their commercials now. Well, they, well you what do you mean now? <laughs> she's on the she's on the logo. The no, redhead. no, no, no. The way in the commercials that's trying to emulate who Wendy is. But that's I'm not going to get forever. <laughs> no. The one, the, the character, the actual live person who's so not, this is just a redhead not, now. She's this not, is a red, not the ray, redhead. The one they have doing the same commercial they've done for right. fifty years. She's got this snarky millennial attitude. So <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> <Millennial>. <laughs> so 
<laughs> I even got Boot to laugh on that oh, one. That was awesome. Uh, when you get the producer to laugh, you know you're onto something. All right, let me take that joke further. So, anyways, um, but I love the fact that my set my beer glass. You can hear the that echo. Uh, yeah, because it. You know what else? It's echoing the airwaves. There's nobody listening at this point. <laughs> okay, you made a little post production editing on that part. Um. Well, yeah. So, I mean, food poisoning, obviously, you know, I'm sure everyone's had it. Well, I guess everybody has had it. Uh, Before we get into that, I just want to kind of just like close this particular thing up about talking about food waste and natural foods and how important that kind of stuff is and how, you know, I guess the ultimate sort of thing is here is, um, you know, make sure that you're not cooking for an army when you're cooking for you and your husband or boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. Second thing is you can be responsible about what you're buying. That stuff, if that stuff's important to you, you do not have to sacrifice that because you feel like it's expensive. Right. You have to be cognizant about what you're buying and how you're going to apply it, right? So we cooked this whole pig that we talked about at the beginning of the segment, and what am I going to do with the parts that we didn't eat, right? i got to figure out ways to ultimately utilize that because there's great flavor in it, there's great uses for that. And then as far as you know, your sort of ecological responsibility or your, your food responsibility goes, you know, there are fast food options available to you if speed is something that is of equal importance so do you have to sacrifice one for the other i think the answer is no despite chipotle's struggles here right i think they're going to make their move their move to get better or they've already made it because they're open and operating again and you're going to see other restaurants copying the chipotle of the world they're going to have that same idea well sure they 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 went they were the place that was like we make we have like nine ingredients that we do a thousand ways where everybody else was had these huge menus with a thousand different ingredients that they've had to pare down right and so that's one of the things that they did well so it'll be interesting to see because I, I do think that it's that this it's a great article it's a thoughtful article you should definitely read it if you haven't had the chance to do that um and it's just for lack of a better term there's great food for thought and then we just kind of were talking about that in relation to the chipotle thing we thought it was a great topic here right um well another thing you got a great direction to go now though. well the yeah but we're uh, yeah, before we take our next break, uh, it's going to be, you know, food poisoning. Every, everyone's had it. It's unfortunate. It's ugly. It's all those things. But, you know, 99.9% of the times when you come home and you've, you've, uh, it's coming out of both ends, you blame the food you just ate. Well, that, uh, an episode earlier, we talked about cleaning your beer lines and um, storing your beer at proper temperatures and all those things. Well, when beer is is there's a lot of bacteria that grows in uh, tavern heads and and into the faucets and everything in between, and if the the beer system isn't maintained, the chances are you're going to get sick. You're going to get the trot. You're going to get you know diarrhea, whatever you want. Your the Saigon squats, <laughs> but it's not you know. I, and I the shizzling drits. I tell them all the time. I said you know why would you want to have a subpar product or something that's out of code or whatever the case may be, and usually this is me selling against a competitor, but ultimately the answer is the same. They're not going to blame your beer your beer lines. No one's going to wake up in the morning with a stomach ache saying, oh, my God, that beer line was so nasty. They're going to say, I just ate at blank and blank restaurant, and it was disgusting. It gave me you know cramps the next day. So my, my I guess my message or the thing is, is don't, A, don't always blame the restaurant because uh, if you're also someone who doesn't wash their hands, there's your first problem. Uh, but also too, it's it, there's other factors involved. Uh, a lot of times, you can get uh, secondary fermentation from uh, beer that's not stored properly. Um, you know, heat skunks beer as well. Number of reasons, but uh, don't always blame the restaurant. But uh, 
Yeah, speaking of beer, we need to take a quick break because I have some growlers, and they take a little more effort to open than a bottler can. Um, like I said, Track 7 and Lagunitas Growlers, fresh draft beer. If you have not ever purchased a growler before, good God, it's amazing. So <laughs> take take a, yeah, uh, let's take a quick break. No, no, Brad. That's not what this is. Brad was uh, referencing uh, episode four. I mentioned uh, top five songs I'd get in a fight to, and this is not one of them. Although, uh, from Pantera, fucking hostile is one of them. Yeah, yeah. That's but I mean, I think it's you know, I was just saying, you're not really going, guy. You're not really going out on a limb hey, with that one. I'm not saying it's number one. It's number five. We'll get to four through one at a later date. That's called teasing people. There he we wants. go. He's trying to tease you and is sticking around. All right. He'll fight you. My favorite. <laughs> yeah. Pardon me while I put on this tape because I don't have a CD player or burner available. Is that a reel-to-reel? <laughs> um, this is, uh, I think, the favorite favorite segment for us. Not so much for the listeners because they don't get a taste of what we're tasting. But uh, beer segments. My favorite segment is the bathroom break. <laughs> I like that one a lot. I think the best part is because when you walk down the hallway, there's Night Court playing on TV. And I wish I was kidding. It was awesome. I actually legitimately stopped in my tracks, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Judge Harry and Bull. Yeah, and you know, the best thing is he ran back down the hall to the studio to point that out. I know because he was out of breath when he got here. It was awesome. It hey, was if awesome. Pablo can do it, I can do it. <laughs> hey, man, I don't weigh in. I just put my work in. I just put my work in. <laughs> All right, well, putting in work. It's a tough job. Someone's got to do it. Let's talk May as well beer. be us. <clears throat> so uh, a couple days ago, I know I did that right into the microphone. <laughs> I just had a conversation about you doing that too. Didn't mean to. <laughs> I know it snuck up on you. I'm not. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just. Yeah. I'm no, laughing at the laugh- timing of no, it. No, you're laughing at me. That's totally fine. It's legitimate. <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> so I, I was. Uh, the other day, took a half day from work, and I went out and visited a buddy out in Sacramento. On the way back, I stopped into. Uh, Stopped into Track 7, uh, and this is a brand that uh, I fell in love with a year ago. Um, and the story goes, I literally, uh, a, a, a friend of mine um, named Jeff uh, referred me. He said, hey, man, he lives in Sacramento, and said, dude, you got to try this beer. It's really, really good. I met up for it with him and had a beer there. At that point, decided to try to get them because I knew they were looking for distribution um, in, in Sonoma County, where I'm from. Um, and that's if for this you don't know if you were buying beer, you're generally buying it from a large distributorship uh, like I work for. Sometimes they're self-distributed, um, but a lot of times they can't incur that cost, so they go to us. We put it on the trucks, makes it cheaper for them to get their product out to you. My goal with these guys was I just reached out to them via Facebook. They got back to me within six hours, um, and that was actually uh, one of the owners, Ryan uh, Ryan Graham, who got back to me. Um, set up a meeting, went out there. Unfortunately, it didn't go the way I thought it was going to. They went with another distributorship. No hard feelings. I really respect the product. Um, you know, I think they made a mistake, <laughs> but that's my humble opinion. But I, in, jo- in jest, I, I joke around, but I wish them nothing but the best. But so Ryan and uh, and Jeff, who own Track Seven, uh, and then another friend of mine, Doug, uh, while I was there, uh, took care of me and uh, got us some some solid products. So what we're tasting right now. Uh, from tran- uh, from Track Seven is the uh, their blood transfusion, which is uh, 
it's listed as an IPA, but be known that it's a wheat IPA. Okay. Uh, this is a, uh, God, it's, you know, it's got a very similar, uh, color to when we tried, uh, we were doing, um, the ballast points. God, what was it? Draw a blank. Um, anyway. The ballast point that we tasted? Yeah. It, had, it has the same. That's it. I'm so sorry. Green Flash has the same orange. Uh, Basically, what he just told everyone is that everyone, everything from San Diego and everyone from San Diego looks and sounds alike and he hates you. No, that's not at all what I said. Uh, but no, this is. Uh, this <laughs> <laughs> So dismissive. Jeez, I was just making a terrible joke. I don't know yeah, I well. do that in front of everybody. Um, yeah, this is a uh, 6.5 ABV. Get a nice. Um, the aroma in it, I mean, I get, I feel like it's like a, I walk into a kitchen. You get a little bit of that, you know, kind of when you're sweating down onions or, or vegetables and just kind of that, that, I mean, in a good way, like good, like that first little bit of uh, seasoning and aroma. Like allium smell, I believe they call that an allium. Ooh, very nice. Um, really nice, you know, coming from the growler, um, you know, as I mentioned right before the break. Uh, if you get a chance, you know, if you, any of these brew pubs you go to, 90% of the time they're going to sell growlers to you. Um, it's not necessarily the most cost-effective because you have to buy the growler the first time. Right. And that's got usually a, uh, you know, usually like a 5 or $10 cost depending on the size. But uh, the cool thing about it is that obviously they want you to come back because in the state of California you cannot put beer from another brewery into another growler. It has to be. Not beer. yet. That's coming our way. That bill, uh, I think. That's probably going to happen in the next calendar year. To be honest, it's in, it's already in Oregon and it's doing in, smashingly well. Where it's got, uh, you know, they get, essentially you have these filling stations. Any growler, any size, you go in there, you drop it off, they'll fill it up, and it's something that you grab and go, you're out the door, and it's you know that's cheap for them because you don't have to pay for consumption on site. Drunk driving lobbying groups that slow that up in every. Oh, state. totally. But it's, there's no different from that because the way they secured at most of these places, yeah, you know, they're putting tape. They're not. It's just like going to a store and buying a six-pack. Are people drinking on the road? Absolutely. Have I done that? No comment. But the point is with Growlers is that it's the freshest beer possible. Draft beer is designed to be the cleanest, unpasteurized product that draws you to the grocery store to buy the product. I keep saying product even though Adam gave me a hard time for saying product. No, Will. Will, Will, I hate Will. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not really. Will's a good guy. Jesus Uh, Christ. What has he got to do with this? We had seven listeners. Now we have four. Yeah. Because you Goodbye. alienated Jesus, Will, and Adam. <laughs> <laughs> all in one breath. Jesus Christ. No, uh, in all seriousness, no, this beer is, is amazing. And like I said, uh, draft beer, uh, you know, not having any pasteurization done to it. Generally speaking, some of the imports do. Um, that's why That's why draft beer tastes so good. It's just like we talked about earlier with the, the romance of cooking and barbecuing and getting the food ready and all that stuff for a dinner party, draft beer is the same appeal. It happens every time I you know, install a kegerator in someone's garage. It's unbelievable that people circle around that kegerator and go to town and it's just true. drink a lot more product. I love this beer. I love this beer because you know they say it's a blood orange wheat IPA. It's got yes. all the characteristics um, of an IPA from the hop standpoint. There is a little bit of bitter there. I like the mouthfeel from it being a wheat beer. Um, and then also like the fact that it's blood orange, it could just, they could just get away with a lot of places. They just get away with saying orange this or, um, but the blood orange, there really is a sweet citrus to it. There's not a lot of bitter citrus, which I like the bitterness right. comes from someplace else. Um, from a mouthfeel standpoint, from a flavor profile standpoint, I think it's really, there's great balance here. I think it's really well done. Totally. 
Um, yeah, it's uh, and and uh, Track Seven's got two locations in Sacramento. You can check it out. But um, yeah, this is uh, man, it's an unbelievable. And I just like the mouthfeel afterwards. I'm sorry, the yeah, the the finish on it is just it's it's really you know I don't want to say clean because it lingers, but man, it's just so light. It's not. It doesn't sit heavy on your palate like most IPAs do. It finishes like a Negroni. What did you just call me? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like the gin and Campari, like some of that bitter I aspect. I hate gin, so I've never had it. Well, it, it Campari's got a lot of that like bitter orange type right. uh, finish to it. Um, the gin just lends a lot of its sort of, um, you know, the the aromatics to it, right, from the front side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but your finish really comes from that bitter Campari. This has a lot of similarities in terms of how clean it is. The finish lingers just the right, or the finish lingers just the right amount of time. Um, that would be the closest thing I could compare it to, really, from a... No, but well, that flavor standpoint, I think it's great. But it's, flavor it's aromatic cool. standpoint, it's awesome. It's you cool. know, the last time I had gin, I got escorted out of a Safeway for knocking over a giant display of beer. That was on the way to this show. <laughs> no, this was about uh, <laughs> fifteen years ago in a lobby of a, sh- of a store. <laughs> of a geez, brrr, <laughs> store. <laughs> boop, 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 skip over that. What um, do we got next? All right, up next uh, we have the Lagunitas. High Westified Coffee Stout. That is a mouthful. That is a mouthful. So. Can you please get your beard off the ice just so I can get to it? Well, yeah. So a uh, little bit of, uh, for those of you who have been listening, um, we finally got rid of the uh, leaky bag uh, cooler that we thought would work for four episodes. We finally got rid of it. So what we did is we brought basically the Bradley fighting vehicle of coolers into this uh, studio. And uh, on the mean streets of San Francisco, the concrete jungle, as it were, it lost a wheel, um, made a bunch of noise. It rattled around the back of the truck on the drive down here. Um, it survived. The beer seems to be in relatively good shape. Yes. So what we've got, uh, while Brad was talking, I was pulling that out of the ice chest there. But, um, you know, Lagunitas does a lot of different beers. Um, if you go to the tap room, uh, which they are currently in the process of expanding, the uh, the beers available there are not always, you know, they're not you're not going to find them on your shelves in grocery stores or even bars for that matter. If they have them, they're very, very uh, quick in and out. They brew them very quickly, small batches, um, meant to be something very celebratory and special. Uh, this particular product, I said it again. I can't stop saying product. Um, so on Beer Advocate, this is uh, this gets a ninety six, and. Uh, when they call it High Westified, that's essentially their limited edition uh, brewing. So they're going to come out with this. Um, it is. It's part of what they call the Scare City Project or program, right? Well, they used to, and now it's that's why it's called High Westified. There was actually another brewery that used the name Scare City. Well, yeah, but so they, well, this is part. This is the transition when it stopped becoming Scare City and became High Westified. Well, High Westified. So it is aged in. High West Rye Barrels, right? Yes. So High West is a distillery from Park City, Utah. It's actually the first distillery in the state of Utah since Prohibition. That's they're like, cool. I don't know, they're like 10 years old now maybe. Oh, man, and you get that whiskey nose Right out, right from the jump. Holy moly. If you can get your hands on anything from High West, just to, just to step away from the beer for a second, the uh, Campfire, the uh, Boo Rye Blend, the Son of Boo Rye, they make a peach-infused vodka that's amazing. Um, if you can get your hands on any of that stuff, I highly, highly recommend it. They are they do a uh, they do a great, great job. So it's only natural that 
this sort of marriage uh, is delicious, although I have yet to taste it. Yeah. So, it's, going to, going to so it you now. get, I mean, talk it, it poured out. It almost had like a molassesy chocolate syrup oh, look and I feel to it. Beer. Beer, beer, beer. <laughs> um, it, uh, yeah, it, it comes out. I mean, it's, it's almost coffee-esque, a very nice uh, light brown head on the beer. Um, really smooth, not overly carbonated, just a little bit. So really, really smooth, smooth, smooth um, carbonation levels and, and mouthfeel. Uh, but man, you get the nose, and it is. I mean, it is. Bourbon. It is. It is like the mouth, like the the texture of this, with the nose, and then the finish. This is like drinking, uh, like an Irish coffee that was made with like really high end, like great espresso. That's got that soft right. crema on top. Mm-hmm. Like this has that, like really soft and roasty flavor. I mean, it smells like whiskey right from the jump. Oh yeah. But there is this awesome roasted flavor, and then this chocolatey, smoky finish to it it's uh like a little cocoa nib kind of flavor so you get a, is a like touch nib, of yeah. bitterness but you still get that it's that it's that that nice blend of sweet and bitter on that back on the back end of this it's it's i mean upside is that it's delicious it's also 12 percent. am i gonna drink more than a pint of this yes no i i, I don't think i would it'd have to be like a cold rainy day for me to drink this and we walked in. San Francisco was like a. It was like sixty-eight, and it was after the sun went down. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, this is a, a this is an amazing beer. Um, definitely one of their best. I mean, they've they've put they've released. I mean, there's no question. Can we get a car? Can we get a uh, a glass or a cup for producer Shard over there, please? She has one in front. She has a beer in front does, of her, but, but she needs to try this. Otherwise, what's going to end up happening? Is she's, take, her she's, ass. she's taking us home to Fairfield if we finish this by ourselves. <laughs> They, we could buy an E40-40 while we're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> All right, let's get Char hooked up. Uh, yeah. This is, this is you're right, though. This is something that um, is got great flavor, but you want to drink this in like a an espresso demitasse cup. It is, it's a very bold flavor. It is, it's not a palate killer, but you're going to take a while to enjoy this because it is, uh, there's a lot going on here. Well, and the other thing, too, with beers like of this nature I always recommend, especially you know if you're able, if you have the ability to to get this, uh, you know to get this beer home, put it in your fridge. I mean, most everyone runs their beer fridges at different temperatures. Mine at, at my house runs particularly cold, and cold, you know, the cold temperatures will really mute a lot of flavors. So what I'd like to I always like to do is like to kind of pour out. If you're going to get serious about tasting a beer, you know, get three pints, you know, pour out one. And just do little, you know, splashes in each one, you know, two or three fingers of, of, of liquid. Try the first one that's you got in your cold fridge. Uh, the next one, you know, leave out. Try it 15, 20 minutes later. It's still, it's still cool and cold. It's just not ice cold. Try it again. And then the third one, wait 45 minutes and let it get to ambient temperature in your house or apartment or townhome or condo or trailer, wherever you're living. The importance of this is because the flavors absolutely explode when you get it to different temperatures. And that's why beers like this, um, you know, uh, it's really hard for bars to try to get different temperature settings on different uh, kegs. That's just something that's... Space is a premium, and right. you need to be able to generate money off of each square foot. It's hard. Exactly. But this is the difference when... So if you're ordering something of this nature... Ask for a room temperature glass. It will make all the difference in the world. So if you're at a place that does, you know, frozen glasses or chilled glasses, I highly recommend you do this. 
in a room temperature glass. Let it sit there and let your hand touch the glass and get a little warm, and you'll notice such a major difference, especially in those that, that whiskey notes, um, the chocolate notes. They just they amplify and brighten. And don't be afraid. You know, we've always been, in, in the United States, we've been scared to drink beer at anything below 32 degrees. Um, it's one of those things that, did I just say scared to drink it below 32 degrees? Anything above, you know. Forget it, you're rolling. Yeah. But, um, the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor. Did we give up then? No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is something that uh, you definitely, you know, let it warm up, get all the flavors, get everything out of it. And, uh, man, you're going to any beer you're going to hear about it. Talk, hear us talk about this. Any if you're going to a beer, if you're going to a place that's serving this, they probably know what they should be doing with this. This is coming in a snifter or a wide bowl glass. It's oh, not yeah. coming out of the freezer. You know, the beer is coming from a place where it's obviously cold because you got to keep it. But um, they're going to pour you in a thing where you can And squirt. also, too, it's going to be a smaller portion for a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> 12% or whatever the hell it yeah. is. It's ridiculous. But, uh, well, you it's, know, it's right on the verge of becoming a barley wine. And barley wines, you know, if you get anything more than seven ounces at a serving, it's you're asking for trouble. Yeah. the That's the same reason they don't serve you, you know, pints full of whiskey. Right? I mean, it's the same Wait, idea. They don't? They shouldn't. But for the right price, they will. Well, when they meet two uh, dashing podcast hosts such as ourselves, they'll give us whatever we want. By the way, there's some dude that walks by. He's walked by like eight times, looking at the like, just glaring. The this beard. is why the curtain exists. I see. This is why I keep my back to the window. Then I only am distracted by the weird look on your face. <laughs> this guy who's much taller and larger than me just keeps just keeps How looking could at he the be beard. Taller than you. <laughs> nice. Thanks, best friend. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, that's this uh, is something. It's amazing. When we talked about going to the Super Bowl party, and we talked about you know what you're taking, and you needed to make sure that you, uh, if you were bringing something like this, you were going to be prepared to share it because you're not drinking this by yourself. This is one of those beers, right? You want everybody to kind of be able to to taste this. That's a great application for a growler as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's absolutely. like you walking with two growlers, you look like a celebrity. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, man, that's. What I got? That's it. Well, we got another track seven, but I got a pint full of whiskey beer. I got to drink first. I'll tell you what. Why don't we? Why don't we take a quick break? We'll finish this up. All right. We'll come back. We'll do a sample another beer or two because you got one. I think that I'm particularly excited about. We'll take a break. All right. We'll be right back. So I'm trying to tell the doctor, I don't think the thumb is supposed to go in there, but I don't have a degree, so I don't know. <laughs> two knuckles? Two knuckles deep? Well, I taste metal, Doc. <laughs> Welcome back to the final segment of Sports Meets Beer. Beer! <laughs> All right, had to take a quick break uh, to get our growlers in pouring position. Uh, we are uh, still riding high on track seven. We're trying another product uh, with a beer from them uh, called Nuckin' Futs. This, staying with the dark beer theme that we created with the High Westified from Lagunitas. Uh, this is a chocolate peanut butter porter. Uh, an imperial porter. Imperial sir. porter. Now, can you just give the thumbnail version of the difference between like a stout and a porter? A lot of people mistake the two. One seems to be lighter than the other. I mean, just give me sort of like a. Well, I mean, you're. I mean, other than the the the, pro, the brewing process is different. Your your malt bill is going to be different. The, uh, the your porter 
is generally going to be higher in alcohol than a stout. Stouts okay. are traditionally low, and I say traditionally. Obviously, people are going to do ramped up versions of the Imperial Stout is hot right now, right? Uh, well, Imperial Stouts and Imperial Porters. Um, Imperial Starfleet. <laughs> nice. Um, no, it's it's it. You know, we can. I think we're going to probably hit a segment too to go through all these different styles. Not every single one because there's over 300 different kinds of beer recipes or beer. Uh, I got time. <laughs> Let's do it right now. All right, up next in hour seven of Sports <laughs> Meets Beer, Ben and Brad talk about every single beer in the world. We should um, have one, actually. That's actually not a bad idea. We should just have one called the, the Road Trip episode where, you know, it's like a topic, you know, it's that exact thing. It's like some sort of like master's thesis. Where we, in- go, we go camping in the woods, come out with, you know, go in there with uh, ninety-two beers. Come back with one. Well, we could just do that anyway. I think that that's sounds a, another idea. That's a normal camping. No, I'm just saying we do like a, we just do like a seven-hour, a seven-hour episode. People are like, hey, listen, you're driving to Tucson. You, listen, this is the one you want. It'll last you the whole trip. <laughs> I'm willing to do it for the people. I mean, the uh, question is, that the people want to have us do it. That's the thing. Is there's one guy that's like, yeah, man, I'm driving to LA. I could sure use something, but. Yeah, Rosetta Stone or these assholes? Yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to learn to talk Thai. <laughs> talk Thai? Let's talk turkey. Let's talk turkey right now. All right, let's get back to the beer, please. This is what happens. You jump right into 10 percenters from, like, the, I know. from the get-go. You get giggly and silly. Ugh. All right, so this is Imperial Porter. Uh, it is delicious. Um, you get a lot of the similar colors. As our stout that we had before, um, the difference. You this know, is more of a brown, like a. It's super dark brown, though. You're getting. I mean, yeah. it's you're not getting any. You're getting a little bit of light to 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 get through the glass. It's more translucent. Ooh. Um, really, I mean, again, I'm a big fan of Track Seven. They uh, scored 91 on uh, rate beer for this. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Um, so the Imperial Porter, obviously, you've got so with uh, you know Nuck and Futs, you can get guess it's peanut butter. You got it in there too. Um, this thing is uh, it's all peanut butter in the nose. Yeah, it's unbelievable, and 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 not in a, I not in a, a fake peanut butter. Like you know, it's not that processed. It's you're not you're not smelling the bowl of Skippy. I just feel like you really get a really good peanut smell to it. Versus like a, you know, it's not necessarily a creamy peanut butter. I agree with you. I, I think it, it translates well. It sort of slides into this great, you know, texture or mouthfeel. You know, they, these fake peanut butter type deals, they can feel really stringent or really like gritty almost. Like there's something almost, it's just not quite right um, about the mouthfeel. This is this is like a creamy peanut butter. Like it really yeah. smells like peanut butter. And then you really get the peanut and then it just goes into this nice soft mouthfeel, right? Which then is, you know, your semi-sweet chocolate and yes. roasted, you know, you know. Well, it's really velvety on the palate, yeah. Which is, uh, I mean, that's one of the things where you know it's just it's smooth and clean, and it just it's it's easy, easy drinking, which is it's dangerous. Seven point three ABV. I think so. it's weird to say it like this, but I there is um, when you smell it, you get peanut butter, but it doesn't really like hit you in the face. Like it's really again, 
I, this is the third beer in a row. It's really well balanced. Yeah. But, you know, that's I think that's one of the things. Well, but when are you going to pick us out some shitty beers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Up next, Steel Reserve. Oh, wait. You did that last week with the E4040. <laughs> <laughs> but even that had a, a level of balance, and I think that's something that I think more and more breweries are starting to realize is that the beer, the you have to have balance. Um, and I'll take this away. And it, we I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, I went to a brewery um, – in Napa, uh, and we're going to actually get some of their beers uh, the next couple episodes. But the difference in in just your your pH levels in your water, you know, not changing any ingredients whatsoever, makes a ridiculous difference. Mm. As I mentioned in this episode earlier, you know, draft beer is traditionally a better, crisper, cleaner beer because of pasteurization. In this case, I went in this brewery in Napa. Uh, we were there, and, and you know, you think the bottle would be harsher. The bottle what had just come off the bottling line and had the 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 different or uh, adjusted pH levels was so much more smoother and better drinking than the draft that they had online. And the the assistant brewer, you know, him and I had gotten this conversation. Meanwhile, we were there. I was there for work. You know, everyone else is taking notes and supposed to be there for functional stuff. And I had been on this tour two or three times, and so. Naturally, I break off the tour and go find someone to drink beer with. Of course. So, which is most tours at this point now. But uh, this guy, I mean, really, really nice guy. Took the time, talked to me, and really like started geeking out about water levels uh, and, and you know pH levels in the water. And it it side by side, I mean, it is it is apples and oranges different. The beer were different, and the same ingredients. It's so important. So my point is getting back to balance. Balance in a beer is is really hard to replicate. Once you start going mass, mass scale, and that becomes a 10-barrel system, right? 10 barrels, pretty much what most small breweries or nano breweries are doing. Um, and, and that's, you know, when you talk about a barrel of beer, that's essentially two kegs. Right. Right. So 30, 31 gallons is a barrel of beer. So most of them do on this on a 10-barrel system or above. Um, it's really hard to get it consistent. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a skill. And uh, much like following a recipe for, you know, scaling down your recipe to cook appropriate uh, portions for two versus yeah. 12 right it's the same thing so people can poo poo on the the big big beer but it's very hard to do what they do granted they also have machines to help them in the process but when you get to small breweries small local guys like uh, like track seven and and uh napa smith and these other guys it's really hard to get it consistent and uh, i feel like this pro this beer is um it's it's very well balanced like i said it it delivers everything you'd think but it's just so easy drinking, and it's something that, man, it's just it's 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 delicious. And I'm not a, I I've tried my fair share of peanut butter beers, and this is hands this is the best one I've ever had. Yeah, well, sure. There's an you know you, roasted peanuts, right? Is like a very distinct flavor profile. When you talk about these porters and these stouts, a lot of times you're talking about like roasted coffee, roasted malt. Like there's a you know like a roasted sort of like cocoa nib to use your term from a few minutes ago. Um, roasty is like the term that shows up. So mm-hmm. peanuts is just another great, you know, extension of that of similar flavor profile, and they do a great job here because it doesn't taste synthetic. Mm, you know, you it, get exactly. You know, you get a lot of these peanut butter beers that just taste like, you know, synthetic. What was it? What was the one from Rogue a few years ago? The maple voodoo donut. Yes. Bacon donut one, right? They came in the pink bottle. What did we say taste immediately? This tastes like it has liquid smoke in it. Right. They made a valiant attempt to tr- sort of recreate something, and they it was it tasted synthetic. You it tasted phony. The packaging was unbelievable, though. 
Yeah, yeah no. Pepto Bismol pink and, and yeah. the, I mean, Rogue's known for their their labeled bottles. Uh, but that one definitely fell short of my expectations. Whereas with this beer in particular, you 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 know you get what they're trying to convey. You're getting the flavor profile that they want. They do a great job of conveying that flavor profile, and it's not altogether unpleasant. Quite the opposite, in fact. Right. It's delicious. Yeah, they it's uh, man, it's so good. So yeah, that's what this I have is to say. one. What's the ABV on this guy? Uh, I thought I said earlier seven four, I believe seven four. Uh, let me just check here. Yes, I'm doesn't sorry, taste seven, like seven point three. Does no. not taste like it. Which is a common theme in most beers now is that you know before you had such a harshness and you'd you'd have the alcohol sting. Part of that balance is that you get your gravity level. So when you brew, we can you know dissect what gravity means, but ultimately that's going to determine your your alcohol content. Um, people now are not necessarily ramping it up to have that burn like you used to desire. People wanted that way you knew you were drinking a strong beer. Now they people want that, so it it is a, a smoother, balanced pra, beer, and uh, yeah, it's it's it. This is uh, it does not drink like a seven point three. It does drink like a a porter though, which is that's something yeah. that this is you're you're gonna have at least me. It's a bold mouthful. It's a bold, oh, clear, big body. It's great. This is to me. I can imagine like I close my eyes and think of eating like really big pork chops and mashed potatoes for that starchiness. Um, you know. Maybe, maybe like carrots done in a sauce, you know, not necessarily a peanut sauce, but maybe something like, you know, cook down that porter, put it in there. It'd be, it'd be really, really awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, you see Thai peanut sauce on a number of things. I think that's a great example. But you're a lot of like what, you know, when you do it in the super high wok, stir fry type stuff, there's always some kind of char to go with it, right? That's right. sort of the, the tie that binds, as it were. So, um, yeah, I think you're right on with that. I think you're right on. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, that's, uh, those are the beers. Beers. <laughs> if we try any more, we will uh, not be legal to drive. We will try some more. We will then not be legal to drive, and we are going to just stay here in the studio and do my seven-hour Iliad that I recommended during the break. Nice. Well, uh, as we come uh, come to a close of this episode, we want to uh, definitely hype up and tease the spring training that Brad is not a part of, but I will be. Ben is a good friend of mine. He would never make me feel left out of something. Until now. Because um, I so, mentioned it 72 times today. Well, so we're going to check in with Ben and see what the hell's going on in spring training. So I feel like I'm a part of it, at least. Well, yes. you'll be. A, yeah, Without you'll all this sweating and the sunscreen. You, you will be there in spirit for sure. Um, I think probably one of her worst ideas is Charlene has loaned me a portable microphone apparatus that I'm plugging into my smartphone, and I'm going to be the man on the street in Arizona during spring training with a debaucherous trip. This whole thing. I'm looking at the microphone right now. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at your phone. This seems like a segment that even Howard Stern would turn down. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but this is going to be fun. I'm going to probably F with a lot of people, and I might come back with a black eye, luckily, because I won't have my playlist of songs to fight to. Well, lucky for you, we're not a video podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's uh, we're going to talk a lot about spring training and what to do while you're down in Scottsdale. So I'm going to come back with my uh, stories, uh, stale, stories of folklore and more, and uh, tell everyone what to do while you go down to Scottsdale. That sounds like a great idea to me. Yeah, cool. Until next week, everybody. Bobcat Goldthwait, I'm so sorry we ran out of time. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Take care. <laughs>